All right, welcome again to another edition of the Red Reporter Podcast, a long overdue edition of the Red Reporter Podcast. Um, I'm your host, BK, and alongside me this week we have Scott. Hey, BK, how you doing? Good. Happy 2016. Yeah. You know, we, we could say, you know, we haven't recorded a podcast in seven months, or we could say we've only, we've recorded our first podcast 13 days into 2016. I say we do the latter. I wholeheartedly agree with you. And uh, on the phone this week, we have Wick, as always. Wick, how are you? I'm good, guys. How are you all? Fantastic. So I, I think we're, we're all just, we're doing well because the red season ended a couple of months ago. So we've had some time to kind of decompress and enjoy life away from baseball for a little bit, you know, and now we're kind of turning the corner. Baseball's right back around the corner and uh, spring training's what pitching and catchers report a little month and a half from now, if that. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, a little five weeks from now. So we're closer to, yeah, we're closer to the start of the 2016 season than we were to the end of the 2015 season. Right. So I think that's reason to celebrate. I think for, for Reds fans, that is exactly uh, a step in the right direction. We're we're, we're closer to zero and zero than we are to 64 and 98, I guess. Yeah. That's a that's an also a good way to look at it. And we're also closer to the 2019 season, which might be the next time we're <laughs> we're pretty true. good again. That's true. So, uh, um, if you're if this podcast is the only way that you follow Reds baseball, a lot happened. Um, I'm going to assume that most people, for most people, that is not the case. They are you know familiar with how the season ended, so we're not going to go back that far. Um, you know, we don't need to go over the deadline moves for, you know, Cueto and Leak and that kind of stuff. Those guys going away. Um, what we can talk about is how this offseason has gone so far. Um, I think that, you know, the Reds have made a couple of moves, a couple of uh, pretty big splashes that we can talk about here. So, um, you know, obviously I think the very first thing that they did was the first move that they really made – in anticipation of the future, was uh, trading Todd Frazier. And I want to start with that. So, so you know, the Reds traded Todd Frazier to the White Sox, uh, three-way deal, got back a handful of prospects, headlined by uh, Jose Peraza, who was you know former number one in the Braves system, uh, and then went to the Dodgers in the middle of last season, is now a Cincinnati Red. So uh, he's a middle infielder, so that's something that the Reds can always use. I don't know. How, how do you guys think uh, the Reds did for the Frazier deal? Well, I would have to disagree that this was the first thing that the Reds did in their okay. offseason. Uh, the first thing that they did was try to trade Aroldis Chapman right. okay. in trying to get uh, Peraza. Uh, Good point. Well, that didn't exactly turn out too well. Uh, but we still ended up getting Peraza by trading uh, away Frazier. Um Look, I mean, the next time this team is going to be competitive is probably about three years from now anyway. That's realistically what we were looking at just because of, you know, the money that's on the books and the money that needs to go off the books for us to afford, you know, quality pieces as opposed to trotting out a 38-year-old uh, Brandon Phillips. Uh, so, you know, retooling or at the very least uh, – you know, reloading makes sense. And, you know, the deal that they got, look, I'm assuming that they have a 
plan. It's a plan different than what mine would be, but then again, I don't get paid to do that. So, you know, I think I think it's a you know plaza is a decent piece to uh, you know begin rebuilding. But yeah, I think Peraza, and I've having had the benefit of hindsight to look back at my initial thoughts about all of this. I, I think I'm less down on Peraza as I was when the trade first went down, and I'm more down on how the Reds view what Jose Peraza is. Uh, you know, John Hammond from now formerly CBS and now wherever the heck he is in MLB Network, uh, you know, he tweeted after the fact that Peraza was a piece that was included in that world as Chapman deal. And so before that fell apart, it seemed that the Dodgers were interested in giving up Peraza for Chapman along with a secondary piece. And then the Reds ended up trading Frazier for Peraza in two secondary pieces. And as much as Scott... Schiebler, Schebler, Schiebler. Um, I think it's Schebler, I think. Schebler, as much as Scott Schebler's, uh, uh, you know, as much as I hope he succeeds, he was, what, like the 14th or 15th best prospect in the Dodgers system at the time? Um, and him coupled with Brandon Dixon is kind of like the throw-in to the deal. And that's what the Reds got for Todd Frazier. And if Barraza was part of the, the two-prospect deal that was supposed to be happening for Rolls Chapman, and then he ended up being the feature piece along with just Shubler and Dixon for Frazier, that means that the Reds pretty much viewed Todd Frazier's value as the same as one year of Aroldis Chapman, which that's kind of concerning to me. I mean, Todd yeah. Frazier was, well, he's going to make, what, uh, $19, 20000000 over in his last uh, two years of arbitration. Uh, I guess he's under contract for seven and a half this year. He'll get a raise next year. Chapman was at one year and $12 million roughly. Uh, yet somehow they got traded for about the same thing. And, uh, you know, a, a four-win third baseman who can hit 30 home runs a year, especially in this offensive-starved environment, seems to me like it should have been worth massively more than even the best closer in the game uh, for just one year. And that's what the Reds went for. And Peraza's not a perfect prospect at all. He's got flaws in his game, but he's got a lot of talent. He's got a lot of stuff that's hard to read because he's been so young for his age, uh, for his level every single year. Um, but it's weird. I've got a jaded sense of him, I think, just because the Reds seem to be so hell-bent on him that they turned whatever they could to get him, and that's that's kind of put him a yeah. little bit under the spotlight more than I wish he was at this point. Yeah, I, I definitely agree with that. I mean, yeah, I I think in a, in a vacuum where you're just evaluating the player itself, I think, you know, Peraz is a great prospect. I, I liked him you know, in the Brave system and the Dodger system. But then again, yeah, I think that since that deal happened, you know, you're uh, as Reds fans, we're not going to be able to look at it without saying, well, this is the guy that we got for Todd Frazier. And I, I, I mean, I hope that that doesn't stick with him. You know, I, I think I'm lightening up a little bit from the initial kind of fallout of the deal to where, you know, initially I, I think, and I, I think you hit the nail on the head, Wick, like where, you know, initially when the deal happened, I think a lot of people were really put off because they thought that the Reds could have done better. And, right. you know, I think that, you know, not that it doesn't really say a lot about Peraza. I think that, you know, the, the Reds obviously, he the Reds like him a lot. Um, I think that they they have a vision of kind of how he fits into the future next iteration of a hopefully contending team, but you know, yeah, it, 
with what they gave up to get him, you know, he he better be good because you know. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they were willing to trade Earl Chapman for him, and then they were willing to trade Todd Frazier for him. It's like right. they saw him on the shelf and said, "Oh, here we'll, we'll buy him for twelve dollars," and then right. that fell through, and they came back the next day and said, oh, "We'll buy him for nineteen dollars." Like they've they've pretty much showed their hand that they want this guy really really badly, and to to, to have basically essentially traded for him twice. Right. Uh, they're, they're putting a lot of their future on him, and you know the Chapman deal. And we can get into what we actually got for him later, and all that. You know, Rick and Cole, uh, They knew they had to trade Earl Chapman this offseason, or else like took a massive hit because any acquiring team wouldn't have been able to get a qualifying offer for him if they traded him season. Frazier, for the for the rebuild to really be a full thing, the Reds had to trade him at some point, mm-hmm. but they didn't have to jump and trade him, and. They, they went out on a limb very, very early in the offseason and traded away what was pretty much their biggest piece. And they did it for the return that they had already almost gotten for the closer that they had to trade. And I, I, I like you said, I, I hope that doesn't uh, stick with Peraza and his story as a Cincinnati Red. Uh, but so far, that's that's all we've been able to see of him is, is what the Reds were willing to offer for him. And until he gets on the field and gets to show – you know, all that speed and all that contact ability and hopefully uh, a, a maturing uh, uh, ability to take walks and get on base, um, that's all we can go on so far. And it, it puts the kid under a lot of pressure. There's no doubt about that. Yeah. So, and, you know, I I agree with that. I mean, I think that it's, it's going to be really, really tough for him to live up to that. And I hope that he doesn't feel that pressure but and, and can just kind of, you know, really take his time finishing developing and kind of and you know since he's a prospect with so many weaknesses even though you know talent's not one of them he there's plenty of things that he does really well but there are definitely holes in his game hopefully that you know he won't be rushed to try and try and contribute before being able to address those those holes in his game right so and actually, so speaking of, um, you know, Aroldis Chapman, um, he was really the other big deal that the Reds have made thus far. Um, we're recording this on, what, the 13th of January? Yep. So, um, so uh, the Reds traded Aroldis Chapman to the Yankees. Um, and this is obviously after his non-trade to the uh, Los Angeles Dodgers where – Peraza was going to come back in that deal. So um, they ended up trading him to New York, got back um, a pair of pretty decent prospects, but definitely not the type of prospect that you probably would have expected going into the offseason or let alone the trade deadline last year. Mm -hmm. Um, They got a rookie Davis, who is a starting pitcher, looks like a pretty decent arm. And also a rookie at this time. And always, will always be a rookie. Yeah. So he could be rookie of the year every year from now on. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then, but he uh, also may not be if he's really not that great. Yeah. Assuming he, could the wor- he could be the worst rookie in baseball every year. You know? Yeah. <laughs> it's true. That could also be the case. And then um, Eric Jagailo. I believe that's – so I – Not Juggalo? I don't think that's how you say it. I don't – I don't know. Wick, do you, do you know – I've heard that the G is definitely pronounced, so it's either Jagilo or Jagilo. 
So yeah, when I, I listened to the uh, the Baseball America one the other a couple weeks ago when they were talking about the trade, yeah, I think I think they pronounced it Jagilo. So I'm gonna go with that for the time being, until uh, until like Jamie Ramsey corrects me or something. Mm-hmm. But uh, so they got they got a couple of uh, decent prospects who could you know potentially be something here within the next couple of years. They have you know Jagilo's got a decent bat. He can. Probably will have, you know, home run potential in the big leagues. Um, you know, defense is suspect there. But, you know, I don't know. Do you do you think the Reds could have done better for, for Chapman at this point? Well, it depends on what we mean by this point. If we absolutely positively had to trade him overnight, uh, you know, this may have been as good as a deal by, that we could have gotten. By this point, I mean, yeah. you know, when they traded him. No, I mean, I don't think so. But I also think that after his little incident, uh, you know, in, in Florida, once that came to light, you know, the Reds aren't going to trot him out there. I think, yeah. you know, they, they're PR savvy enough to realize that we cannot have a liability like this guy uh, out there. And, you know, I also say that with a grain of salt because they also gave, you know, Alfredo Simon 170 innings the year a year ago uh but i you know it, it seems that with the chapman trade and with the cueto trade and even with the frazier trade the reds just seem to have a knack for trading their best players at the worst possible times uh you know the only thing i could say that would be counter to that would have been the leak trade which you know Mike Leak is consistent enough to where that doesn't matter. You can trade him today or you can trade him two years ago. He's still going to be who he is, and that's a pretty darn good pitcher. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, Cueto, they obviously, you know, in hindsight, they probably waited an extra half season too long uh, to trade him. In Chapman's case, you could say he probably, he's the, you know, closers generally seem to have inflated values at trade deadlines because you run into teams that are desperate that want to go in it and with what they've seen you know with what the royals have done over the past couple of years particularly in the uh postseason you know there has been a uh uh not a run but there is a giant need for you know extremely powerful relief pitchers in in late innings that can shut down the door i was shocked that they didn't trade him at the deadline yeah, and you know because of that, you know there, you know you would have that value, and you're going to have this value, you know, this winter or uh, this summer as well, uh, because I don't think the Reds are going to, you know, be in it at that point of the year. But you know, certainly, you know, the Yank- you know, baseball is a team or is a game where every team mirrors what works. And what has worked over the past few, two years is having a shutdown bullpen in the late innings. And, you know, the Yankees, right now, they're just using the exact same formula that the Royals used last year right. and the year before. Yeah, I, the, the name, oddly enough, that pops in my head when I think about what I will remember about Royals Chapman uh, is Deion Sanders. And mm. it's because... Chapman was such an otherworldly talent and had uh, you know, certain things about him that made him 
much like Sanders in that regard as well, where he was not exactly a full-time player, never really became what he knew he could be if he got the chance to be, you know, uh, to be rolled out every day and not split seasons and all the above. Chapman obviously got, you know, pigeonholed in the bullpen and you never really found out what he was. And they both electrify when they really had the chance to shine, but never really did it as often as enough as you, you would hope that they would have in their prime. And then poof, they were both gone, and, and the Reds didn't really get a whole lot for either one of them at the time they were there. Um, obviously, you know, I, I, for Sanders' perspective, I don't want to compare what he was doing at the time to what Chapman kind of put the Reds in, because what Chapman did off the field, if the allegations and reports are true, is obviously significantly worse than playing football. Um, but they both kind of were tantalizing in that way. And the Reds, like you said, it's a classic case of trading a great player with great talent at one of its, you know, absolute lowest moments of his, uh, of his overall value. And so through that lens, it's frustrating to look up and see that, you know, they've got a guy who probably isn't going to stick a third base and who's been injured a bunch of times and has obviously was a first-round draft pick, has a good pedigree and has good numbers when he has played with the bat, but it's kind of an imperfect prospect in that regard. Um and a pitcher who profiles to, to be decent. I mean, he's not going to be, it doesn't like, it's not like you can't throw 97 miles an hour and doesn't have an arm that you can get something out of, but also doesn't project to be nearly the, uh, the talent that Chapman was. And it, it, in that lens, it's frustrating. But at the same point, um, given what, what, what Chapman was facing and what uh, the PR disaster that the Reds were going to deal with, I think they had to trade him when they did, and I think they got a pretty good return for him at that time. It's just frustrating to look up and see, you know, in, in a week and a half's time, what they could have gotten in terms of Jose de Peraza and whichever the second prospect was from the Dodgers. The drop down from that to uh, the two guys they got from the Yankees is pretty pretty drastic. So, yeah, it's uh, I, I think it's kind of almost the perfect fit for a trade to, to, to book in Chapman's time in Cincinnati to go out as slightly disappointing in terms of return because his time there just seemed to be so so close to being something that we could have been just, you know, uh, 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 iconic, I guess is the best way to describe it, that just never really amounted a whole lot. Yeah, and I, I think that, yeah, that's definitely a big frustration because, yeah, I mean, anybody who has watched him, you know, since he came up with the Reds can probably speak to this, but, like, Rolls of Chapman is a once in a generation talent. Like the guy being able to throw a fastball that hard and you know and actually command it most of the time from the left side is that's I mean, repertoire wise, he might be the most devastating pitcher ever to play. And you know, I think and I think that he's gonna a lot of a lot of people who haven't seen much of him are going to see him a lot more this year with Yankees than they did, you know, his entire time with the Reds. But yeah, yeah, and that's I mean, he's he's easily the most electric arm that you've ever seen wear Cincinnati Reds uniform. Right. He never started a game for them, and then they traded him and got at probably at best like their seventh best pitching prospect in the system, and a guy who probably is going to end up having to be a first baseman. Um, and that's that's it's frustrating when you think about that. Obviously, there's contract terms and. Uh, team control that goes into that, but yeah. you know that that, that that harkens back to the the management of him as an asset, not just him as a player. And it seems like the Reds just they, they never got out of him as much as they as they could have on the field, 
And then in trade value, they didn't get as nearly as much out of him as they could have had they traded him or shopped him at numerous other times. And uh, yeah, yeah, that's 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 imminently disappointing. Yeah, I mean, I I think it's hard. It's hard to blame him in one respect. I mean, I don't think that they saw the whole domestic violence incident coming. You know, I think if they if they were would have been afraid of that, he probably would have been gone at the deadline no matter what. Um, but you know, I think that it was just kind of a, a hindsight being twenty twenty thing with, you know, well they should have traded him at the deadline. Well, yeah. you know, it didn't happen. But really, I mean, you know, we were we were talking about that just in you know even in the last podcast we did before the deadline, and we were talking about the potential that Shadow would get dumped. And right, you know, it 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 was a decision then that made baseball sense. You know, and it made kind of as an asset sense, and it you know it's it's definitely still pretty inexplicable that that it didn't happen then. Right, and I mean, here, here's the thing. I mean, and it's almost a lesson that if you're a Bengals fan, or if, or if you at least follow the Bengals, like me, I don't identify as a Bengals fan because they already get enough of my tax dollars as it is. No profits. Yeah. Uh, you know, what, what, you know, Bengals followers have experienced in the past week, they've realized you can't fix, you know, you can't unteach idiocy, you know, stupid people will continue to do stupid things and you can't fix that when it comes to pro athletes and they will put you in a position to screw over your franchise. And that's exactly what happened with, uh, with Chapman and Mm -hmm. his, him not using his head and putting himself in a terrible situation and perhaps doing something completely terrible, uh, in October. And then also with what, you know, the Bengals just basically just blew away a playoff game that they had won because (laughs) they could not just keep their heads in check. And you know well, the two pe- the pretty, two people that did that were yeah. yeah two people that did that were people with a a history of character issues that could fill up a Bible, and Chapman you know he has made poor decisions in the past. There's nothing to yeah. suggest he will continue to stop making poor decisions right. in the future. You know, I, it's crazy to me though. You know, it even if that was the the decision that the Reds made, you know, at the deadline to say. We're going to wait until the offseason and see what we can do there with more time, I guess. But, I mean, really, you're, all you're getting out of that is the potential for a bigger market. And, really, what do they get from him on the field? They got, looks like he pitched a total of 22 and two-thirds innings in, <laughs> in August and September. So, you know, I mean, was that worth it? For a for a team that was twenty games under five hundred, how many point? innings did uh, how many innings did Jumbo Diaz pitch last year? Total, yeah, compared um, to Chapman. So, God, that's depressing. <laughs> he actually pitched less than Chapman. Last okay, year. how many how many less innings? Uh, six less innings. Six less innings. So we trotted out Jumbo Diaz. Just six innings less than we did a role as Chapman. That's well, did, Diaz, did Diaz get sent down last year? Yeah, and he was injured yeah, for did, a period of time. time. No. no, but the better comparison is that Burke Badenhop pitched as many innings for the Reds last year as a role as Chapman. Oh. 
you know, that's I, that that says everything that you need to see. There, there are there are two things about the Aroldis Chapman Cincinnati Reds era that, that will always stick out with me. One, he never started a game despite being the most electric arm in the team's history, while at the same time being in the system that was perpetually drafting relievers to try to convert them into starters. (laughs) Michael Lorenzen, Tony Sincrani, Nick Howard, even Bryce Iglesias, who nobody else saw as a starter. The Reds' whole MO the entire time World as Chapman was in Cincinnati was find underused arms (laughs) that we think project as starters and convert them, and they didn't do it with the one arm that is literally the, the poster child for that. And, 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 quite, and, second, and secondly, uh, uh, the Reds were in a PR, PR nightmare where they couldn't hold on to Roldis Chapman after all the stuff that got, yeah. uh, uh, they came out in the, in the police report. Um, they, just, they couldn't do it. And it's going to be sad as all hell because even if he gets suspended, the first time Roldis Chapman comes out and closes a game in Yankee Stadium in the second half of next year, all everybody's going to talk about is how dominant the New York Yankees bullpen is, mm-hmm. and and it's going to be dominant. They're going to have Dylan Batances and uh, and Miller and him at the back end of their bullpen, and it's going to be historically great once they're all playing at the same time. And the Reds couldn't afford to not trade him because if you don't trade him, you're the team that didn't trade him after all that. Whereas the Yankees are going to watch him probably get a small suspension and come out with a, the best left-handed, if not any handed reliever in all of baseball shining on the biggest stage and big moments down the stretch next year. And there's nothing that the Reds can do about it. And that's, that's so, so frustrating to know that that's exactly how it's going to play out. But the Reds were tied and he, and it's pretty much Chapman's fault for sticking them in a situation where, uh, they couldn't, they, it was a rock and a hard place, uh, lose, lose situation, whatever metaphor you want to put out there. Uh, and they're going to end up, on the short end of the stick of it everywhere on. And that's, it's, God, it's so damn frustrating. Yeah. Uh, totally agree. So, I don't know. Do you want to, should we talk about something less depressing? Yeah, there's 2016 Reds. Let's yeah. Talk. Yeah. You know, that's, that's all over and done with. On to the future. So, uh, the Reds, the Reds actually did make their first kind of big splash signing. By not uh, signing Brennan Bosch? By, by not signing, did you see that whip? Red Sox got Bosch. We, we yeah, out. for, for, for um, uh, a million if he makes the roster, whereas the Reds got him for one point two five last year and got negative one point three wins above replacement from him. You so, see, that's that's uh, you know we were talking about that beforehand. I say that the Reds, you know, we picked up a win by uh, you know by that roster move. Him back, yeah. <laughs> Well, we also picked up some draft position by playing him so much last year. So that's also that true. true. Yeah, it's true. We have yeah. the second pick now. Yeah, so. but yeah, uh, the Reds made their first big splash in uh, getting a shortstop by the name of Alfredo Rodriguez out of uh, Cuba. He was a Rookie of the Year in the Cuban League. Was it two years ago? I think two seasons ago. So uh, obviously, um, you know. One of the bigger names to come out of there, um, the Reds really took a big risk with their international money on this deal. They had, you know, exhausted their bonus for uh, for this year, so for or for 2015-2016, didn't feel like waiting until the bonuses reset in July. So they they basically took um, went 
six million above their bonus money and gave that to uh, to Rodriguez. Sorry to interrupt real quick, but uh, I, I, I guess I think the uh, the details on on them signing Rodriguez kind of parallel the Peraza move in a lot of different ways. I was going to say the exact same thing. It seems that the Reds hit just. I really hope that this is not the case, but it it reminds me a bit of the Jim Bowden years when he would become infatuated with like these five tool right. outfielders. Where you know, I'm afraid that the Reds have become infatuated with like these no bat middle in, infielders. Middle because, well, but, but it, not just that; it, it's it's less about the player itself and more about what they overpaying, overpaying, him, yeah, yeah, like like. Orlis Chapman or Todd Frazier for Peraza with Rodriguez with the way the penalty structure works in the international signings, which is massively complicated. Basically, they agreed to pay for him twice um, because they were already over their allotment. Yeah, and so (laughs) it's like I I feel like Rodriguez has – he's a signable player. Like obviously there were other teams that were interested in him. He's worth money. He's worth investing in. But the Reds became so attached with him that they just decided to throw – double the amount of money that he was even potentially worth, uh, it, it, it just doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense to me in any in any level, regardless of how good he might turn out, because they seem to just overvalue a guy that nobody else has that, that price tag on. Right. And, uh, you know, with, with that kind of investment, you expect that the Reds are pretty sure that he's going to be a big league regular at that, mm-hmm. at that rate. I mean, and... You know, given all of the other options they have at this point, you know they have still they still have Zach Gozart on the roster. Um, you know they obviously they picked up Peraza, who can play shortstop, but may not stick there. Um, they still have Eugenio Suarez, who will move over to third this year, but can play shortstop. So, you know they they're just kind of compiling these guys, and it seems like. It seems like they're risking a lot to just kind of be able to do this lottery. Let's throw everything at the wall and see what sticks. And, you know, yeah, it's it's kind of a baffling strategy, if that's what you want to call it. And, and you know, it's not even like a lottery where, you know, it's like a Powerball, where if you get the numbers right, you're going to, you know, really pay out. Uh, this is almost as if, you know, Walt is... Well, Walt and Dick, I guess now. Yeah. Uh, that's the other big news of the off season. Uh, you know, it seems that they are exhausting all their allowance on pick three numbers, where the payout is going to be like less than a thousand dollars each time. Uh, you know, I don't think we're. I, I perhaps I am overly pessimistic, but I really do not think Peraza or uh, you know Alfredo Rodriguez. I or even Suarez is going to be the second coming of Barry Larkin or even, you know, second coming of Zach Cozart. That remains to be seen even, too. Right. So, you know, I mean, we've gotten to the point where in the major leagues, bats are, you know, it's it's come to the point where, you know, bats are more valuable than pitchers when it comes to, you know, uh, when it comes to acquiring them at this point. Right. Uh, that being said, I think the Reds are still reaching and trying to, uh, you know, load up on a couple of position players that they seem to be very infatuated with. I, you know, I think if we're lucky, somebody like, uh, 
you know, Alfredo is going to turn out to be, you know, like a Juan Castro type, where he's going to be absolutely fantastic love, probably won't hit for, hit for a lick, except maybe one or two seasons if we get lucky. Yeah, I mean, Rodriguez had, what, four extra base hits in 300-plus plate appearances last year? Like, like four. I mean, and, and that's with extreme speed. Like, if you foul a ball off that you think is a foul ball and it lands in, in, in the field of play, that's an extra base hit. Like, you luck into a couple, and he had four. And over 300 plate appearances. Do we know anything about the dimensions of the park that he played in? Could that have been a factor? It, I, I know absolutely <laughs> nothing about him other than the brief videos I've seen and the statistics I've seen next to it. Um, Could be but worse I don't than know if there's any, Put it this way. It's the same league where uh, I read in the initial uh, signing release that you know Yasiel Puig had roughly 45 extra base hits in the same amount of p- uh, plate appearances. Uh, the year before he came out and he was signed. Um, So it's, he's a kind of player that obviously, you know, he's got a great glove. He's got the ability to be an impact player on the base pass from all reports, but you got to get there first. And to to take a reach like that, where they're paying $12 million when they only owe him six because of the penalty. And then on top of that, they're forfeiting the ability to spend big next year and the year afterwards because of how those uh, penalties play out. That's 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 a huge, huge commitment to a guy that has a massive hole in his game. And mm-hmm. you know, it, it, when the Reds traded away all the guys they did, dating back to Latos and Simon and Cueto and Leak and and Frazier and Chapman and, and and freeing themselves from all those monetary obligations that they currently had under contract. Obviously, you want to see them reinvest in the team, and this is step one of the process, but. It just seems that they've taken a very, very, very committed approach to a player that's got way more question marks than you'd hope for when you're putting that big of a check next to his name. And uh, you know, I'm, I, I, Alfred Rodriguez could hit 260 in the big league level and get on base at a 350 level and play great defense and steal a lot of bases. And if he does, that's what I mean. That's that that that, that that's a, a three win player maybe, and that's his upside. Like that's the absolute upside. Um, you would like to think that they would have thrown money at a guy who had a higher ceiling than that, I guess, or a higher floor than that, rather, uh, is the way I would look at that. And it's, it's weird. It's just it's, it's an odd, odd strategy that I, I can't wrap my head around yet. Well, and not only that strategy, but I think that the strategy that where they're just kind of accumulating a lot of middling guys and hoping that guys – you know, they, they get a couple of guys that step up out of that pack of guys. You know, I, I am really, really concerned about how that how that works. Like, how they expect that to work when they're really, really focusing on quantity rather than quality. You know, right. they, they're really doing, they're doing the same thing in left field and potentially right field if, um, you know, Jay Bruce ends up getting traded. You know, they're just accumulating tons of outfielders. They're going to throw them all out there, and, you know, the best one the best one or two will probably stick. Um, you know, they've been doing that with the pitching staff since since they, they traded everybody except for uh, Homer Bailey. So, you know, outside of that, I think, and probably outside of him and DiScalfani and uh, Iglesias, you're probably just going to see a glut of 
you know, six or seven guys that are, you know, could possibly do the job, but we'll see. And I, it, it's really, it's interesting to see that that's kind of the strategy the Reds are taking rather than going out and getting that, like, that big prospect or that big signing that is going to really, you know, that really is going to be an all-star kind of guy. Or, or even even the wild card prospect that may not be highly regarded, but at least has like the upside, you yeah. know. Uh, uh, Aristides, uh, Aquino kind of guy who right. tantalizes with at least one skill that if it if it turns out for the best possible case, you've got a seven eight win player. Like right. none of the guys the Reds got, even on the absolute best case scenarios, are that they yeah. might get. You know, they're, they're, if they reach their full potential based on their profile so far, they might be a four-win player. Like, that's that's good. That's very, very good. But every now and then for a team that's got so many flaws, so many holes, and such a high hill to climb, you, I, you almost wish they'd, they'd reach just a little bit farther and roll a little bit more of the dice, you know? Right. Well, and that's the thing, yeah. I mean, best-case scenario, you're going to have Joey Votto and a bunch of decent players, and you're going to be a couple of games over 500 with that because yeah. you know you have you have the cubs who have oodles of potential 6 7 win players you have the cardinals who always seem to find these guys who you know overperform you have the pirates who have been retooling and still have plenty of talent you have and the brewers are in the same boat that the reds are but Bur- Brewers seem to have found a way to make yeah. worse decisions than the Reds, though. To, so. to this point, I mean, yeah, they, they still they're they're picking up some some prospects too that that seem to have a higher upside than a lot of the guys that the Reds are getting. Which, yeah, you know, I don't know. I this this high floor approach that the Reds are seemingly trying to go for is is kind of it, mm. it seems like a road to five hundred to me. Yeah. The one caveat with that, though, and, and we kind of glanced at it a little bit, the Reds' opening day payroll for 2016 is going to be almost, what, $30, $35 million lower than it's been the last two years. And with what they've got right now, they don't really have a whole lot of guys on the current roster that are just itching for extensions. You know, maybe maybe you go after Anthony DiScalfani and try to sign him to – Mm-hmm. A seven-year, fifty-million-dollar year uh, deal, which in today's money isn't much, yeah. and right. all of the expensive money on that wouldn't even come for a couple of years. The Reds have freed up a lot of resources based on what they've been willing to spend the last two or three years. If if their strategy is okay, let's find a lot of core guys, and then we go out and find some stars and free agency potentially. Then I'll, I'll I'll be much more on board with the way that they've gone about the first step of that process. The caveat is, though, the Reds have not been active in free agency at all. I mean, Francisco yeah. Cordero is still the highest priced free agent they've ever gone out and signed on the free agent market, right? Yeah, I think so. Which is what yeah. four years and forty five six 40, million forty eight forty eight yeah. whatever it was like you know eight years ago whenever they signed him. So they've always been they've always gone out and traded guys and then extended them or extended their own players. Yeah. So if the money's there and they're gonna put it to work somewhere with a player that we don't have in the system right now, it, that moves 
still yet to be made because the moves that they've made haven't, on paper at least, brought in that guy that's going to eat up that much money because they're worth that much. And if that means they are going to explore free agency, there are a lot of guys out there in free agency right now that would be around for five or six years if you signed them. And maybe maybe that's what they're going to do. Maybe they're holding off until next year's class. I don't know. But there's it seems like they've done a very good job of, uh, like you said, going for quantity that might turn out to be decent. And if that's the case, so be it. But there's still like there's still two or three great players away yeah. from from making that difference, well, and they're not in the system right now that I can see. And and I agree that you know I think that it'll if that that's the way that they decide to do it, then then I I think that could actually work to where you know you get you get as close as you can, and then at the you bring in that established talent, you know, at the to bring you over the hump. But I don't know. I, Given the Reds' free agent history, and I, I mean, I don't, I, I don't see I, it. I'll yeah. believe it when I see it. Oh my God! I've just realized the Reds are probably kind. They're, they're if that's basically their uh, their formula, they're still trying to recreate the damn Cardinals by signing somebody like Holland. Right. You know, that's basically what they would need somebody like that to really put them over the hump in terms of. You know, value from uh, you know from a position player standpoint. Yeah. Well, hey, the Cardinals traded for Holiday first and then extended, right? That's did they? They you may be right yeah. on that, yeah. But yeah, they have the so pieces. Get, they, I mean, they just A's and then the A's traded him at the deadline to the yeah. Cardinals, and then the Cardinals signed him again that offseason that massive extension, which of course worked out because they're the freaking well, Cardinals. and that they tried to do that with Hayward with right, you know, right. Yeah. They they offered more money than the Cubs did. So, <laughs> which you know, is awesome. It, it's it's not like it's not like there's a proven system where you know I, I don't think there's an example you can point to where this is a team that doesn't spend money on free agents that are consistently winning their division year after year. It's just not it's just not a thing. I don't think. Yeah, even if the deals don't work <laughs> out dollar for dollar over the life of the of the plan, teams that win have generally gone out and gotten a player paid market value for him in one in one of the early years of the contract because that's how baseball works and the the Reds are going to have to do that unless you're the Marlins got right now <laughs> yeah even yeah. even the Marlins were they were signing signing guys yeah two years ago yeah. yeah I mean they tried to redo it and then they took they waited about. They just, they just trade them immediately. Yeah. They played. For, they played yeah. forty games. <laughs> they played forty games and then bailed. Yeah. Sign them to huge contracts with zero no trade clause, and then flip them the moment that they have an, uh, a sniff of not being worth what the contract says. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So I mean, yeah. Rest assured that that's not what the Reds are doing, which is probably a, an improvement. But yeah, it's. It, it remains to be seen whether this is going to work out. It's obviously still really early in the process, and there's plenty of um, plenty of work to do. We'll see where the Reds are at this point next year, and where they are, you know, at this point two years from now. Because I think that that more than anything else is going to dictate kind of where where they go, which right. you know, obviously. Yeah, it just it, 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 2016 obviously is not going to be a very good year for the Reds as currently constructed. The question becomes, you know, 
the, 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 the current free agent class is as good as there has ever been in terms of talent and depth. And the Reds have done they've, – they've, they've what? They've signed Ryan Matthews back to a minor league contract. Um, right. Uh, 30, they got Blake Wood. They got Blake Wood. Yeah, yeah. Uh, they picked up a couple of Rule 5 guys. <laughs> Household and, names. Like, yeah. like Justin Upton's still out there. Uh, Cespedes is still out there. Chris Davis is still out there. Dexter Fowler is still out there. Yeah, you look up at a move like what the Cubs did with John Lester where – they, they went out and found a free agent that they knew was going to be there for six, seven years. And even though they signed him in a year where they weren't anticipating being good prior to the 2014 season, and they were, you know, they were okay, but not great. And then by year two, the young core that the team had put together around that free agent signing, suddenly that free agent signing was much more impactful, but he wasn't, he wouldn't have been there a year later if they'd waited. Right. I, I worry that the Reds are missing that one big piece. That one big piece is available right now. They're not looking for that one big piece yet, and then they will be in a year, and it's not going to be there. And I don't know how that's going to be rectified, but uh, it, it's not going to expedite the uh, the rebuilding process in terms of being competitive anytime soon. And it's weird. I I, I I hope they've got something up their sleeve. I'm sure they've got a plan in place, but I can't. I can't see it right now. I really have no idea what it is. Right. So, um, you know, I guess where do we go from here? The 2016 season. So, um, you know, obviously it's still, you know, we're still a month away from spring training. There's still, um, there could be some more additions, but I don't think that we are necessarily seeing anything too imminent as far as, you know, I think the, what the Reds roster is now seems to be pretty close to what they'll go into spring with, which, yeah. you know, um, you know, it looks like, uh, I think Brian Price has announced that, um, that Suarez will be taking over third base. Um, you know, they still have Bruce and Wright. They still have Hamilton in center. So, um, you know, it looks like they'll be, and, you know, Zach Cozart, We'll play shortstop, I guess. Is Devin Mezzarocco able to squat now? Um, that I don't know. <laughs> yeah, and if Zach Cozart's knee is ready enough to start the regular season as shortstop. Yeah, they and I don't. Yeah, I don't know if uh, they've officially said that he's going to be ready. I don't know. I kind of tend to doubt that that'll be the case. Yeah, he's but, projected to be ready, but who knows until he gets out there and shows that he can actually do it. Um, So, you know, really what it leaves is it leaves a lot of guys competing for this left field spot, which you would think that Adam Duvall has the upper hand at just because of the playing time he got there last year. But, you know, they brought in in a couple of guys. They they picked up Tyler Holt at the end of last year. Um, They have Jorman Rodriguez, who's out of options. They picked up Scott Shevler in the the Frazier deal. And then they picked up Jake Cave in the Rule 5 draft, so he's on the big league roster now, um, you know, as long as he sticks. So you know, it, it seems like that'll be one of the main things that we look at during spring training, right? Right. I mean, it seems like they've, they've been prepping to get rid of Jay Bruce all offseason. Like, yeah. you know, well, not all offseason, but since the last year. They, they, you know, with Duvall and Rodriguez out of options, and Cave and Holt and Shevler and everybody else, they've they found a lot of, you know, major league quote-unquote ready outfielders. 
Uh, and, you know, Bruce's market obviously tanked once his second half was as awful as it was. And like we just mentioned, with Upton and Davis and Cespedes and Fowler and everybody else still in the market, and Carlos Gonzalez and trade rumors, J. Bruce is going to have a really, really hard time getting traded for anything of value at this point. So uh, it it's almost seems like it's a foregone conclusion unless the Reds get overwhelmed by an offer. Uh, he's going to be around for at least the first half of the season next year, which yeah, which you you have to think that the Reds don't would rather that not be the case. They would rather get rid of him now, just because they saw what happened with uh, with waiting on Chapman and you know and Cueto to an extent. So and Frazier too. Yeah, but, I mean, you know, yeah, they, they could yeah. they could have done Frazier earlier too for sure. So yeah. over under when. Uh, position players report for spring training, how many articles are we going to see that uh, that state that uh, Jay Bruce is here and he's in the best shape of his life? Oh. <laughs> Get first day? First yeah. day of spring training? <laughs> Absolutely. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And honestly, I think holding on to Jay Bruce is, is the right decision at this point. I mean, his value... Well, it could be lower. It was lower at this time a year ago when he was coming off an awful season after a, a meniscus tear. But it's not so long ago that he was, you know, he had, he had an 841, I think 841 on the dot OPS at the start of August this year. Like at the trade deadline, he had an 840 OPS. And, you know, he's done plenty in the past to prove that he can hit a lot of home runs, hit a lot of doubles, play decent outfield defense. Um, it's actually funny. It's something I was looking into writing about uh, the difference in Carlos Gonzalez's trade value versus Jay Bruce's trade value. If you looked at it in say like June mm. of last year, because they basically had inverted second halves. Gonzalez went nuts and ended up hitting forty home runs in the season, whereas Bruce fell off the cliff. Um, but the two guys, you know, throughout their career, when you factor in quarters at least, have been more or less similar players with Gonzalez obviously being a little bit better on the offensive side. Uh, but, yeah, it's just, it's, it's like, with Bruce, it's like, man, he was so, so bad for the last two months of the season. And as we talked about to start this whole thing, like, where they traded Chapman, where they traded everybody else, like, they've, they've got a history of trading guys with value at the absolute minimal value they can get for them. And right. to, to send Bruce out right now just doesn't make a whole lot of sense. So, I hope he's in the best shape of his life in spring training. I hope he comes out and has a first half. He has May Bruce like he has before. But then at the trade deadline next year, they can actually go out and get something for him. Right. Yeah, I I, also, I, I do agree with that. I mean, I think that, you know, obviously if you're the Reds, you're, you're very convinced that, you know, you want to get rid of him and get something for him now if you can. And But, you know... There's, it doesn't really make a lot of sense for the Reds to be selling low. Really. You know, they, it's if they're not going to get less halfway through the year than they are now, unless right. unless he's hurt. Like if if he has a bad first half, you know, it's not drastically worse now than than it's not drastically worse than it is now. So right. Um, and it's not like like we mentioned before. It's not like they're crunched for the money. I mean, right. yeah, he's making what. Uh, $12.5 million next year, which yeah. is, it's not chunk change, but in in the landscape of baseball these days and what people are signing for, it's not terribly yeah, expensive. I mean, I, I think it's that's going to be worth a contending team at the deadline, no matter how his first half is. Right. So it's it's worth paying be him $7 million to wait. Yeah. 
you know, because that could, if he goes out and has uh, the, the hot streaks that we know he can have, if he has a first half like he did last year, where he had a career best walk rate and an 840 OPS, suddenly he's the best guy on the market and he's worth a guy like Zach Wheeler, you know, mm-hmm. and I, it's for $7 million in a year where you've already shed $35 million off your payroll from the year before. I think you pay that to wait because the prospect hall could be that much better if Jaber's peaks like he has, uh, as opposed to where his value is created right now. I think that's a cost you have to sink in right now. Right. I, I totally agree with that. So, um, do you guys want to wrap it up? Sounds good. I think sure. we've uh, exhausted uh-huh. everything. I, think, that I mean, I think we're, we're caught up to this point. Yeah. So, um, hopefully... You know, our next uh, show will not be another six months from now. Um, you know, we uh, are hoping to kind of get back on a re- more regular schedule with this. Um, we'll have some interviews coming up that I think you guys are going to really like. Um, How about this? Over under wins in 2016 based on the current projected 2016 Reds roster. 69. Nice. Nice. Um, I, I think that's an improvement. That's yeah. an improvement. I think that they are going to not be as bad as people think that they are going to be. I'm going to say 72. I'm going to say a, I think there's one more decent sized move that will happen this off season, uh, which will skew this. I don't know what it's going to be, but I don't think the reds are done. And sure. B, with that said, I think right now they're about a 74-win team because the NL Central just is a bear right now. Mm-hmm. And that's if they're healthy, though. Yeah. Well, right. That, yeah. Yeah. You can't really predict them. Either. But. Well, cool. Yeah. Yeah. This, this was a good, uh, a good first one back, I think. Yeah. Started, 16 with a, uh, started 2016 with a good show. Mm-hmm. And uh, onward and upward to to rebuilding the podcast. Should we rename? The Reds. The should we should we rename the podcast the Rebuilding Podcast? <laughs> the Red Rebuilder Podcast. Well, I don't know. Does that mean <laughs> we can uh, cross market in other categories and get other people to download it unnecess- unsuspectingly? Oh yeah, you yeah. Can get into the uh, like the DIY community. <laughs> The, uh, the, the secret the to winning Rebellion? the $1.5 billion podcast. Yeah. <laughs> Skip Schumacher sandpaper. And... <laughs> Skip Schumacher is still a free agent, by the way. <laughs> oh, watch out. So, yeah. yeah. Oh, God. So, uh, all right. So, make sure to uh, visit us, as always, at uh, www.redreporter.com. Um, we'll have, we're doing our prospect rankings right now, so make sure to go uh, check those out. Chime in. Mm-hmm. Um, we've Sign up We've got plenty, plenty in the pipeline uh, here leading up to spring training, so um, keep it a lookout on some good content. And if you have sat through the past 55 minutes uh, and you are still interested in uh, hearing more, by all means, uh, go ahead and subscribe. Subscribe uh, on iTunes. Subscribe on um, iTunes. Give us a five-star rating if you'd like uh, because heaven knows the Reds need uh, you know, five-star somethings. Because <laughs> there, yeah, there really aren't a whole heck of a lot of them going on right now. So, <laughs> All right. Well, uh, and uh, follow us on Twitter at Red Reporter. Um, we might bring back the mailbag, fe- mail- blah, 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 the mailbag feature here uh, in the next show. So Absolutely. We'll see. 
We have not we have not done a RR mailbag in a while. We also haven't had Farney on either. Mm. We'll continue to not have Farney. <laughs> <laughs> never have, right? Uh, oh yeah, well, uh, we didn't air that podcast. That's our lost episode. It's yeah, the, it's the deleted scenes. <laughs> but uh, so uh, let's uh, let's sign off. So uh, for Scott and Wick, I'm BK. See you next time. See ya.